everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you find encouragement today as you listen. All right, uh, this morning, uh, it's the first Sunday of the month, which means the uh, communion table is set up. And, uh, you know, I'll just tell you what bothers me. I just, it, it, have you ever kind of had been an aesthetics person? And you see, this is just way off center here. Okay. All right, I just, just, that's been bothering me all morning long. It's like the one was separated from the other, and they go so well together, the bread and the cup. Okay, uh, I, I'm getting older, I'm getting stranger, okay? Just bear with me. All right, but this morning, first Sunday, Communion Sunday, it's always a time where we share it. We call it the table of the Lord. We call it communion. You maybe were raised in an Orthodox tradition or a Catholic tradition where it'd be called the Eucharist. It's called many things, but it means the same thing. It's remembering Christ's beautiful sacrifice for us. And uh, uh, we call it a sacrament, uh, a very sacred thing. In fact, if you look through Scripture in the New Testament as the church is being launched, there's really two very specific sacraments that jump out for the church. It's baptism, and the regular observance of the table of the Lord. And today we're going to celebrate that, but I want to talk about it a little bit. And I want to start with a couple of quotes. Uh, I shared this last week, actually, and I, it was so good. Well, not this one, but the next couple, uh, that I just want to let you see it with your eyes, okay? But look at this quote here from a, from a theologian. He says, The Christian church was the first institution in history to bring together on equal footing both Jews and Gentile, uh, Gentiles, men and women, slaves and free. We see that in Galatians chapter 3, where Jesus just kind of brings this leveling effect into the body of Christ. He says there's neither Jew nor, uh, or, or Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, but at the cross, it's like we're all put on equal ground. And by forming a community out of diverse members, the Apostle Paul said, we have the opportunity to capture the attention of the world and even the supernatural world around us. That's talking about powers and principalities. Paul would later in Ephesians chapter 6 talk about just what that hierarchical structure is. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities and rulers in high places. So uh, there's something very profound that Christ has done and is doing through his church, and it captures the attention of the world will be those who are not yet into the faith community are not yet followers of Jesus Christ, and then also those, uh, those spiritual realms that we don't see. I, I highlighted community because do you see a word jumping out there in community? It's unity, all right? Unity is what community is about. It's a unified purpose and a gathering of people, and uh, I didn't do the, the word study, but it just, it's just so obvious there this morning that community is what Jesus Christ is about with his church. Now, look at this. G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton said this. The man who lives in a small community lives in a much larger world. The reason is obvious. In a large community, we can choose our companions. In a small community, our, our companions are chosen for us. And that's what's so beautiful about congregation. That's what's so beautiful about connect groups. That's what's so beautiful about our small groups. And as we work together, as we live life together within the community of faith, is we don't get to choose who comes in and sits next to us, you know. We get surprised some Sundays when somebody sits in our chair, and we hope that that's happening on a, on a greater uh, level, that we're, we're having to sit all the way across the auditorium because more and more people are coming to check out uh, this Christ that we serve this resurrected Lord who's transforming our lives. 
uh, in a small community, our companions are chosen for us. And I like what uh, Henry Nowen says. He says, community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. That's honest, isn't it? That's kind of like family. You know, you can't, you can't choose your family. They just, you know, they just show up. And, and sometimes it's like you just can't get along for those first several years with that brother or that sister, plural, brothers, sisters. And you didn't get to choose. You'd say, well, you know, if I had my way, I would have chose that, like that friend, my best friend, my BFF at school. Well, that would be who I would like for a brother. We don't get to choose that. And in the family of God, in the community of Christ, we don't get to choose. Uh, it's, uh, it's something that uh, is, is, is chosen for us, the place where the person you least want to live um, always lives. Now, the young church at Corinth uh, was struggling with divisions. In 1 Corinthians, we see at the very beginning that the Apostle Paul is, is, is uh, highlighting and, and, and addressing the divisions, and their community, their community was in jeopardy, all right, at risk of, of tarnishing their witness to those in the world and the powers and principalities that were around them. And the division was evident in their abuse uh, in the Lord's Supper and how they celebrated Holy Communion or the Eucharist. Okay, so here's the scripture where it kind of starts out before we get to, and by the way, the, the scripture we're going to look at is the one that we normally read on our Communion Sundays just to be reminded of what Jesus' instructions were and how to receive the table of the Lord. Uh, but it starts out a few verses uh, earlier in this, in this chapter, so we're trying to bring it into context. And the Apostle Paul writes this, he says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. Now pause for just a second. If you go back to chapter or verse one of this chapter, we're in the 17th verse here, he had some praise for the church. They were following some traditions that they'd been passed down and uh, talking about women and dress and apparel and, and headship and covering. He says, you're doing a good job, you know, good on you, mate. And, uh, but now he gets to verse 17 and it's like, and these following directives, there's, there's, there's a little hitch in your giddy-up, all right? I, I, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and, so, and to some extent, I believe it. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead uh, with your own private suppers. Okay, we talked about this a year ago. I want to remind you what's taking place here, okay? The Corinthians uh, uh, likely met in homes. When they had church once a week uh, as a collection, as a large group like we're doing here this morning, it wasn't in an auditorium that sat, you know, 300 people or whatever, however many chairs we have in here. It was in homes, probably large homes. And probably many believe what's taking place here is... Uh, it's the wealthy who would have the nicer homes, but with wealth comes a class, a strata, right? Uh, a different order that you are in the culture. But the kingdom of God and this message of the cross and this gospel is not just for uh, those that live in Maple Bluff, all right? Those who live in another, find another neighborhood that's nice here in our city. And that's, that's not, it's not an exclusive message. It's an all-inclusive message, and everybody, the rich and the poor and everybody in between are coming together. However, this isn't, you know, they, they, I think the wealthy were probably wrestling with what's going on here. And they've got these big homes. And probably what's taking place is just as you have rooms in your homes, they would have a certain room set up for their friends who were in their same class 
you know, and they would, they would have their, their place to meet. And then, of course, everybody was welcome, but they had separate rooms where maybe the, the least important, the least, uh, uh, the, those lower on the, on the stratum, those lower on the financial totem pole, so to speak, were, were, uh, were probably sitting. And so there's a division taking place when they come together. And it developed. They, basically, what was happening, it seems, is a click. You know what a click is, right? Those you feel the most comfortable with, you have the most in common, you start hanging out. And this, this happens in any gathering. It can be happening here in our church, and we always need to be thinking about it. We're welcoming everyone because we've all been welcomed. Okay, we've hung out. Some of us, some of us have been doing I've been here 30 years serving in the capacity that I'm serving. So you can imagine there's some people I feel maybe a little more comfortable with, but my role as a pastor and as a friend, as a brother, is to try to rub shoulders and elbows. That's why I love connect groups. We, we walk together, we live life together, and we, don't, we try not to click off, although that oftentimes is a, a natural bent, right? That's a, a, a natural draw to connect with those people that we're most alike, all right? Um, the first communions were celebrated in what was called a love feast, okay? What they would do is, did you know that the first communion was literally a full meal, right? The Passover. On the night Jesus was betrayed, we see it in the Gospels, right? On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. What was he doing? It was a Passover time. They were in, go find a space. They went and found an upper room. And so the disciples were sitting around. And if you've ever been to a Passover meal, a Seder, it is long and, pardon me, but a bit laborious. And I'm not much into the food that was served at the one I was at. And I think that's the food, that, you know, the bitter herbs and the lamb. It's like, all right, somebody order a pizza. This thing's almost over, right? Well, it's very elaborate. It's very special because it's telling the story of God delivering his people out of Egypt and the Passover lamb. And Jesus in that Passover, when he introduced a new covenant and something to be remembered by his church, the table of the Lord, the Holy Communion, it was amidst the supper. So imagine this, the first Believers and Christians, they would have these agape feasts. They would have dinners where they're probably reenacting, maybe not, you know, like a, a literal Seder or uh, a Passover dinner, but they're having a dinner. And then within that dinner, likely would have a cup you know, and, and, and bread, and they would observe in a very special way, sacred way, uh, the Lord's sacrifice and, and holy communion, okay? So, uh, again, practice at the wealthy, the meals, the uh, Probably, you know, the wealthy, they're eating the fine drink, maybe in their private room, we don't know, but there's division happening here. And while the less affluent, poorer guests, they may have been assigned to other areas of the house eating White Castle hamburgers or something like that. There's five of you that laugh because 95% uh, of you don't know what a White Castle hamburger is or you'd really, you'd just be on the floor right now uh, somebody'd have to be recover trying to recover you because of just uh, you'd be falling out in laughter. Okay, uh, it was just it was probably a poor uh, uh, division that was taking place and a very obvious division that was taking place. And the Corinthian believers had taken this custom even a step further. Look at here. It says, as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those having nothing? Look at the excesses here. Look at the extreme here. Some are going hungry. Can you get any more extreme than that? Where you're, you're together in a community that's proclaiming this transforming love of the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ who came to earth, gave his life, rose from the dead. And there are those who, they have, you know, hunger pains. Well, somebody here is going way over a top. Excess. They're just getting drunk. I mean, that's, that's, as far, that's like, you know. That's just 
but as extreme as you can get. The rich were clicking off and eating the good food, and excluding the poor believers, and the poor remain hungry while the well-off overindulge. And the love feast celebration had, had degenerated into a form of social separation. And that's where they were celebrating the Lord's table at these love feasts. And Paul's calling the church out for their social clannishness, if that's a word, you know. Uh, the Corinthians Christians had turned this agape, beautiful meal into uh, a loveless gathering. And Paul is addressing this. In fact, his response, I don't have it on the overhead, but his response is this, what shall I say to you? What, what, what should I say? You know, he's like a father in the faith to this church. Am I going to praise you for this? He'd already praised them earlier, right? he keeping the traditions and, and, and doing some of these things. He said, certainly not in this matter. This, this is over the top. You're off mark here. And, and he was calling them back in line. Uh, Philip Yancey says, often we surround ourselves with the people we most want to live with, thus forming a club or a clique, not a community. Anyone can form a club. It takes grace and shared vision and hard work to form a community. I think that's true right now where we're at, where we live. This, this touches you, it touches me. Uh, it, if, if it's seeming, if, if where you're at in the kingdom of God, if where you're at in the body of Christ, if where you're at in the community of Christ, if where you're at in the local church, we're all, all saying the same thing, same meaning. It's really kind of smooth and relaxed. It might be that we're missing the mark a little bit, that we need to be getting outside of our comfort zone, that we need to be clearing a little more space on our proverbial plate to invite others in or to invite ourselves into others' lives. Are you hearing this? It's not the Christian faith, the walk of the Savior. Our journey in Christ is not about uh, just receiving. It's not about, uh, it's, it's about participation, not just not just uh, uh, giving, and, 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 and I'm missing the word. I'm, I, the word's there, and it's going to come out probably by the time I end my, my message here. But it's, it's not about just consumerism or consuming. That's the word. But it's about being connected and, and participation. So this should be something that's kind of that, that uneasy rest that we're Anyone can, can form a club. Lord, help my relationships not just to be a club. Uh, give me the grace and give me shared vision and give me hard work to see unity come forth in the community of worshipers that you placed me and planted me. Listen, if, if, this, if this thing we call church was just about coming and receiving, I would be the first one to stay home and sleep in on a Sunday. Because, you know, for 30 years I've been communicating from this point. My role is to, to teach and to share and to speak. And I revisit these texts, and they're, they're always alive, but it can get tiresome. You know, just it, anything can become mundane. You know, after, a couple weeks after you've opened your Christmas gift, it's like, okay, you're not playing with it anymore when you were a child. And, and we take that into adulthood. It's like, yeah, passe. It's, but if we understand that, 
that being a part of community is a part of pursuing the grace and the, and the compassion and the love to, 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 to be poured out to those within that community. And as the community is poured out to the community, right, the purpose of this community is to be poured out to the community. And one person cannot be a community. It takes many people to commune together in unity to bring forth uh, the, the purpose of Christ and his kingdom in our community. That's why it's just not me going to Walmart, and I haven't done it yet this week, and buying a bunch of supplies for our lovely children who we're interacting with for years, right, right down the road, two blocks away. But we get to adopt a school. I told you about the church last week or the week before. That's the, the 300 people, they've adopted Verona and another school, and 300 folks came through their building to receive backpacks and all these supplies. I long for the day when we're opening up our gymnasium, they're coming in, and there's just supplies like you wouldn't believe, and we're just being Christ in a real practical way, not just have, have you memorized John 3.16 yet? Which is a good scripture to memorize, by the way. So, uh, that's what makes, that's what, sorry, I, I didn't mean to shout. That's what makes this relationship, that's what makes this journey that we're on in Christ so exciting that it's more than an aging pastor. I'm no longer 30 years old. Uh, I'm almost twice that now. And, and, and if you're just coming to listen to Graybeard speak, you're going to be discouraged after a while. But if you come realizing I'm, I'm playing a part. I have a, a role this morning. There's something, some grace that I can share, some vision that I can partake of, something hard and, 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 and you know, roll up the sleeves and get my hand in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the sacred soil of the kingdom. And somebody might be here this morning that the word that the Lord's given me in my season will transform their lives. That, that, that's... That's the truth. That's what community is about. Yeah, we get to go on vacations and we get to do all these things, but this is where we belong as Christ followers, in community, creating unity, spilling over to the community what Christ is doing in us. And uh, so that's where we're at. That's where we're going as a, as a congregation in a bigger way. I, I, something the Lord's placing in my heart for the last few months and maybe even years is we have all these wonderful missions uh, investments that we have, and you know, twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars a year that we're sowing into just life-changing world, you know, world-class missions organizations and missionaries around the world. But I just feel like uh, our Jerusalem. All right, for those who are walking in the faith, they know what I'm talking about. But what Jesus said is, the Holy Spirit's going to fill your lives, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. In other words, your backyard. Our backyard is important. Our Madison. Our Jerusalem is really important, and I'm excited to see what you as a generation of Christ followers are going to do, and we're going to do together to really make a lot of noise to our community as we see unity in this community, amen? So, all right, I have just about beaten that dead whatever as much as I can. I'm moving on. Here we go. If I say horse, someone's going to be very offended, all right? And I'm not going to, I'm not... No horses are going to be hurt in this morning's message, I promise you, all right? So, uh, that's Paul's calling uh, against that, you know, and Paul's response, we see what it is, and I love what Yancey says, but here's what Paul, as he continues, and this is where we'll kind of conclude this morning in a minute. I'll give you guys the A-OK, -OK, but the worship team's going to come up and lead us in a song that's going to prepare us for communion, but let me give you a couple points in closing here, okay? This is going to be a long closing, so don't get too excited. Here we go. <laughs> I say, 
There's a joke that goes with it when the pastor says, in closing, that means there's five more points or something. So just relax, okay? So look at this. Uh, uh, Paul, Paul goes on to say to this young church, for our, what I received, and this is what we share almost every month at communion, we just pick this passage. And, and here's why, it's just before we look at this. Here's why, uh, if I asked you what comes first, the, 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 the horse or the cart? And you'd say, well, of course the horse, the, the horse pulls the cart, right? Chicken and the egg. Well, in this case, in this scripture and, and what we understand historically, this letter was written before the Gospels were printed out and put into circulation. Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, where we see the story of the Passover and the Holy Communion. And, uh, and so Paul's writing this letter and the cart is before the horse and he's giving instruction before we even hear the story. If you were living in the 50, AD 50 in Corinth, there was no gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John circulating around, but you were getting this letter from Paul, and Paul is giving this tradition. What he received, he passed on. What the Lord had given to him, he passes on to that church, and he's passing it on to our church 2,000 years later. He said, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink it, you see it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Have you heard that verse before? Have you heard those verses before? Yeah, three of you have. Three of you are here on, on the first Sunday of the month because we oftentimes read that, right? And uh, I don't like when pastors ask me questions either, so don't, I'm not condemning you for not responding. You, you know, you're not... Pentecostal parrots, you just, just be quiet when I ask you questions. <laughs> I, it's like, uh, <laughs> I'm not going there, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I am who I am, and I'm not going to be that, that pastor. All right, okay, or preacher. Okay, so look at this, interesting things, okay? Uh, this, this gospel, it's considered to be the first written in the New Testament regarding the Lord's Supper. Paul gives a glimpse into, uh, uh, into the thoughts and attitudes and the very important practices of the early church. And it was probably, well, I would say it's the practice that he was instructing all of his churches, although it only shows up in this letter, but this is how you're to understand the table of the Lord. This is what you know, what he received of the Lord's Supper as he hung out with the apostles and then he's writing these letters and he's learning what happened in the Gospels and the life of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus. Paul is giving instruction. And, uh, and this morning, as we will conclude in a moment with the table of the Lord, I'm reminded of the prodigal son. And I want to give you this illustration because the prodigal son was living well, but he wanted his inheritance early and he demanded it. He's the younger brother. He demanded it of his father. And in that context of that culture, that was like stabbing your father in the back. All the neighbors would have heard what's going on, and they would have been uh, uh, shocked, and father would have been humiliated, and the whole family, and, and the younger son, the prodigal, took his inheritance. He went off to a distant land, and he spent his father's inheritance or his inheritance from his father on wine, women, and song, and he ends up in a pig pen. And he's as low as you can get, all right? A pig pen is not where you wanted to be, especially as a, in the Jewish context because that was an unclean animal. They had nothing to do with pigs, all right? So he's eating basically pig feed. And it's at that point that he says, you know what? Uh, my servants are probably eating and living better than me, you know? The, the scriptures say he, he kind of woke up one day and he came to his senses. When I pray for all those who are maybe a, a little ways off, 
who've walked with the Lord and they're a little ways off, I always pray, Lord, bring them to their senses because the Holy Spirit's able to remind us of just how good it is in the kingdom of God, in the community of faith, in God's presence, in, 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 in the presence of believers and where the Holy Spirit works amongst his people. Uh, the prodigal came to his senses and he realized he'd, he'd be better off uh, you know, being a servant rather than starving where he was at. And so uh, he said, I'm gonna set out and I go back to my father. And then he rehearsed in his mind what he's gonna say to his father because he's, he's embarrassed his dad. He's embarrassed the family. Uh, he, he, he's probably expecting absolute rejection and he's gonna come back in humility and say, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me a hired hand. You know, put me in your servant's staff. I'd rather at least be fed like your servants than I'm starving, all right? And so he got up and he went to his father and this is priceless. And this is what I want us to see as we remember the table of the Lord this morning, the picture of what the father does. While he was still a long way off, Say, a long way off. I just, I couldn't resist because I was telling you, I don't do that, right? All that back and forth stuff. He's a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. You see that? Now, what would you do if you're really ticked off at your child? All right? There's another word we use, but we don't use it in church. You know, and you're just, you're, uh, come on, parents. Aren't you going to be saying, all right. It's a long walk. I'm here. I'm not leaving, but you're coming to me. He ran to his son. He, uh, he threw his arms. Imagine this picture for a minute. He threw the humility the father's expressing. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Don't you know that was a prolonged embrace? Imagine that picture with me this morning. The father's action, actions, they said it all. His actions spoke volumes to all the, don't you know there were bystanders? All the witnesses that day, whether it's his hired staff, his one older brother saw it, maybe the neighborhood, people are probably gathering, hey, it's, it's happening, he's coming home, and everybody's waiting to say, oh, he's gonna, he's gonna beat the fire out of this kid, right? He deserves it. Everybody who witnessed that day saw this amazing grace encounter this amazing encounter of God's grace. And his actions, the father's actions spoke volumes to those. Uh, and, and the father was saying this, and I shared this couple uh, several months ago, that when we do it, it says it, all right? You know, he could have said, yes, yeah, son, this, this is okay. We'll, we'll work something out. But what he did is he, and that would have been grace. He could have had one of his servants say, meet me in my office you know, and, and we'll, we'll discuss this in private. But what he did, and that could be grace as well, but nobody would say, what he did was he, he, in a pronounced way, he ran and he did it and that said it, all right? And that's the heart of what Paul's passage is this morning, that when, when, when we come together and, and this symbolic uh, encounter with the table of the Lord and together we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup in obedience to Jesus' commands, what we're doing says it. What we will do here in a moment, and it's worth repeating, and I said this a year or so ago, what we're doing this morning is going to trumpet it. It's going to, it's going to declare it. It's going to say it so clearly. Paul reveals the Lord's table is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to look back, all right, in the 
verses of 20, in verses 23 and 26, do this in remembrance, to, re, to remember you're looking back. And for whatever you, whoever, whenever you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you're, you're proclaiming something by going back and bringing to your memory what Christ has done. The story of, of Jesus' last meal is simple. And, and Paul gives us a lesson in it. When we eat and we drink the Lord's table, we announce Jesus' death, we proclaim his death to the world, and when we do it, it's the same as saying it. Realize there's something, there's something more than just doing this in remembrance of me and this remember, memorial. There is something supernatural about the church of Jesus Christ all over the world today, pausing to do it, and in doing it, they're saying it. In doing it today, we're saying that Jesus Christ is our sole source of life and forgiveness and eternal hope. And it communions this powerful statement, not only to the world, but again, as we said, perhaps to rulers and authorities, as we see Paul teach in this area. So the very darkness and the, the demonic realm and the powers and principalities that place Jesus on the cross every time they see, and it's happening all over the world, as I said, they're here, it's being just, it's like a, it's like an ant, it's like a, a uh, it's like a loud, loud, loud proclamation, Jesus Christ is Lord. The cross was sufficient, and of course, in the cross was his death and his resurrection. It's all part and parcel there. But uh, that's when we look back, all right? Through his death, powers are defeated. Doing it says that Jesus' broken body and blood is my source of salvation and freedom. Did you hear that? This morning, saying it or doing it is saying for you and I that Jesus' sacrifice, what we're going to experience here in a moment, is my source of salvation and freedom. Doing it says He's broken the powers of darkness. So there's nothing, there's no level of bondage or chains over your life that can withstand the power of Christ and what we can encounter from this table. We do it once a month, we should do it every day, right? Because there is, Christ is present. We go back and we bring him forward. We bring back what the spirit of Christ and what he did forward from the back. It's back, back to the future, back from the future. Back, no, back to the future. Yeah, that's right. There was so many squeakwolves there that I, I get messed up on what, what you call those, right? But that's, uh, that's, that's for another message. All right, so we're looking back. All right, here's another thing. Paul reveals that the Lord's table is an opportunity to look ahead. We're looking ahead. Uh, in verse 26, uh, whenever you eat the bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, until he comes. His appearance, what's he talking about? Jesus, if you don't know this, some of you may not have heard this, Jesus Christ is coming again to this planet, all right? Jesus has not given up on this planet, and especially those he loves the most on this planet. Not spotted owls, all he loves those. It's you and I. It's his creation, those created in his image. He is returning to this planet one day. In fact, Paul, talking about what's happening to the dead, they're asking these questions at the church at Thessalonica, and he says, here's what's going on. Here's what's going to happen someday. He says, for the Lord himself will come down. The Lord is coming again from heaven. Uh, that doesn't mean heaven's up. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's probably a different dimension, all right? But this is the imagery that he's giving the, the early church. And he's saying, uh, with a loud command and with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of the call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's resurrection, all right? That's resurrection. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So look at this. So so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is loaded, all right? 
Now, we can go a couple directions with this, but I'm not going to rail on my favorite pet, eschatology. Eschatology is kind of end-time teaching. I'm not going to say anything about what I believe. I'm just saying, Jesus is coming again. And if you believe that, that's, we are in unity there, all right? My mom and I are not in unity, but, but, but we, live, we love each other deeply, all right? In this one area, we don't, but who, who cares? The point is, Jesus is coming back. And Paul says that when you do this, when you, when you, when you celebrate this table, we, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes and he is coming again. And with that, we, we, we also celebrate his death and his presence, which is coming. And we kind of, that's where we grab from the future. We take from the past in the, in the finished work, and then we grab from the future. So when we celebrate the table, we're just, we're bringing the past forward or we're bringing the future here into the now. We're saying, Jesus is coming again. And what a hope that is. It doesn't matter how crazy things get. Jesus is going to come and make everything right. And this planet is going to be renewed. And life's going to be amazing under his rule and physical rule and reign. And the third thing, he's, Paul reveals that the Lord's table is an opportunity to look within. All right? And this is the passage that's so clear. And this is what I want us to just meditate on. I invite the worship team to come at this time. Look at this. And so whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So there's an unworthy manner. They were doing it in an unworthy manner. They clicked off, and the wealthy were maybe eating over here in the, you know, in the, in the formal dining room and sticking you know, the, the lower class and the, the poor down in the basement. It was kind of dungy, and there's, you know, there's, you know, there's whatever's in the basement, all right? So I, I don't know. There's probably no basements. But the point is, is they were, they were sinning in the way they had divided the community, and I don't know how we sin in the 21st century, but we do. And I think what I want us to do in a moment is just, is just to reflect and to, how does he say it there? He says, examine themselves. Examine ourselves this morning. And, and don't hurry this because we're concluding with this this morning. This is going to be the end of the service as we share the table of the Lord together. But I want us to take a moment and examine. Maybe the Holy Spirit brought something to your attention this morning. Areas of where, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's uh, some, some sin in my life, some issues, some attitudes that I know don't please the Lord, and I want to repent of those, and I want to uh, align, realign my heart with the heart of God and his, and, and his heart for me. Examine yourselves. Paul identifies the Lord's discipline for the Corinthians. There was sinful behavior. He says some of the sick and some have fallen asleep or died. He, he said that they, they just brought brokenness on their life. And the Lord's table is just that perfect time to examine and prepare our hearts. So listen to this as we prepare. And I, I'm going to just invite you to be seated for now. I'm going to have the worship team lead us in a couple verses, for the sole purpose, don't even worry about singing, just examine. Just as the song's being sung over you, just be thinking, Lord, is there anything in my life that I need to prepare uh, my heart for this very sacred thing as I examine myself? Uh, maybe you need to just repent of, of an attitude. Uh, but let me, let me just speak this over you. Though, you know, though we're not, we're not going to segregate ourselves, of course, but we remember the beauty in this symbolism, and, and, and I say this, in doing what we're about to do, 
we are saying that Jesus' broken body and his blood is the source of our salvation and our freedom, all right? Doing it is saying, Jesus, you're our sufficiency. Doing it this morning, taking of the cup, taking of the wafer, the bread, is saying that the powers and principalities and anything non-physical world that, that we don't even maybe see, it's broken over my life today, over your life today. Doing it says, I am called to live a life of love and of accepting others. In this community and outside this community, we open our arms wide and say, come and taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Doing it says, he will return. And we're really excited about it. It's the hope that we have. And he's going to make all things right. There'll be no more sickness or death, Revelation says. No, no pain, no hurting. All things will be made right. And doing it says, he is present right now. This is, not, this is more than a memory. We're bringing the memory forward. We're reaching into the future. And we're meeting today at the table to experience. That's called the kingdom of God. It's now, but not quite yet in all of its greatness. Today, this morning, we celebrate the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ in this present time, in this moment, in our midst. Lord, prepare our hearts, we pray. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, check out our website at www.ridway.church.